0: I sent my oldest son off to a youth retreat this weekend. He was hours away. And like at any time when I'm not with him, I really missed him. But with that great distance and for those several days, I was really feeling the disconnect. I'm so glad that he had his Gab phone along. I was able to send him a quick text each evening to ask about his day and to tell him that I was praying for him. Have you heard of these things? The Gab phones? That's Gab. G-A-B-B. They look and feel a lot like a smartphone, but they aren't connected to the internet in any way. A user can call, they can text, take pictures, and even listen to music, but that's about it. With the Gab phone, I had peace of mind knowing that I could get a hold of my son all weekend, but that he didn't have access to the internet, and most importantly, the internet didn't have access to him. He wasn't scrolling social media or being sent shady photos from total strangers. He wasn't wasting time playing video games or being taken advantage of by cyber stalkers. If you too are interested in purchasing a regular cell phone that looks and feels like a smartphone for your kids, you can grab 30% off a Gab phone or a Gab watch right now. Head to gabwireless.com and use promo code MOMTOMOM at checkout. That's capital letters. M O M T O M O M. So once again, go to gabwireless.com and use promo code MOM2MOM. Welcome to the Mom to Mom podcast. We're three generations of moms who've experienced nearly every season of motherhood. Of course, we don't have all the answers. But you can be sure that we'll always point you to the one who does. We're pouring a cup of coffee and we're chatting motherhood today. Pull up a chair. We're really glad you're here. Although the numbers show that children and teens have been the least affected physically by COVID-19, they certainly haven't been immune to its other consequences. The sudden and often life-altering changes that have occurred since the spring of 2020, including, you know, school closures, parental job loss, and in some cases, a lockdown in an unstable home environment, have in many cases increased feelings of helplessness, fear, anxiety, and unfortunately, even thoughts of suicide. The statistics are slow in coming, but according to a November, 2020 finding from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, between April and October, 2020, hospital emergency departments saw an increase in the total number of visits that were from kids for mental health needs. And while it's true and terribly tragic The statistics also show that anxiety, depression, and thoughts of suicide were already on the rise, even before this global pandemic. One report from the ADAA, the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, states that one in 20 kids struggle with mental health disorders each year. One in 20. Perhaps your child is that one. Or perhaps you know a child who is that one. Today, we hope to offer you some help. Our guest today is Crystal Payne. She's the founder of MoneySavingMom.com, host of the Crystal Payne Show podcast, New York Times bestselling author of Say Goodbye to Survival Mode and author of Money-Making Mom, and she's just released a new book called Love-Centered Parenting that is quite a departure from her normal offerings, but she's opening up about a very vulnerable piece in her family's story in order to help change that one in 20 statistic. Welcome, Crystal, to the show. I am so honored to be here. Thank you for having me. We're delighted to have you. Um, I just want to give a quick disclaimer to our listeners. As I said, this is a very tender and personal story. And just as Kate, September, and I share stories of our kids with some degree of anonymity to protect them and to allow them to share about their lives in their own way and in their own time, we're going to assume that Crystal will want to do the same. She's obviously um, wanting to use her story to help others, but this story is not hers alone. And her first commitment is obviously to her child. So with that said, Crystal, most of our listeners know you as that money smart mom who helps them save on their grocery bill. Can you tell us why you're here today as a guest on an episode on mental health and kids? Tell us about a very shocking meeting that you had in the principal's office a few years ago.
1: Yes. Well, if you had told me 10 years ago that I'd be writing a book that has parenting in the title, I would have told you you're crazy. I write on topics like saving money and time management and making money and things that are very practical. But I also never knew that four years ago, we were going to end up in the principal's office um, of the little Christian school that our kids were going to. And We were going to be met with news that one of our kids had done something that was really serious that had broken the school's code of conduct and that swift measures were going to need to be taken. And over the next few weeks, we uncovered and unraveled a lot of different things that were just really, really overwhelming and disheartening. And as a parent, just made us feel desperate because we didn't know what to do. Or where to turn. And I think there are a lot of parents who feel that right now, that their kids are going through things that are just, feels really overwhelming. And it feels like, I don't know. There's no manual that tells me just do A, B, and C, and D, and it's going to fix it.
0: Yeah. I'm wondering, in hearing you, I'm wondering if there's any warning signs that you maybe missed at the moment, but now you see as just subtle cries for help in this child's life.
1: So 100%, there were a lot of warning signs that we completely missed. And I think that that was part of, there's so many emotions when you find out that your child is struggling, they've done something. And then you find out that there's been repeated behavior for months that has happened that you were not aware that was happening at school. Um, and you just, you know, question yourself. You you question your ability to parent. You wonder, how could I have missed this? But for us, it took a lot of therapy, a lot of really understanding the way that our child's brain works, really understanding mental health, all of that, to be able to be aware of these signs. And I think... There are things like I always tell parents, "How are your kids doing socially?" I think for me, I just kind of dismissed, "Oh, well, this is just a child that struggles with friendships." But really paying to that attention to that because if your child is struggling in relationships, um, if they don't have any close friends, if they're constantly having disagreements or arguments or fights or something like that with other people, that that's a red flag that maybe there's something going on. Not always is it, you know, mental health or something, but it it can be a warning sign or how are they responding and reacting? Sometimes are they overreacting? Is it a small thing that they're blowing up into this huge thing that is just overwhelming for them? That can be another sign that maybe something's not right, that they're struggling at a deeper level. And these surface things are just little red flags.
0: Yeah, because, Mm. you know, we can't use that as a silver bullet prescription for every child. You know, some kids are just naturally introverted and would rather um, be alone. But I think you've pointed us to a couple of things that we can be looking for and be mindful of.
2: Yeah, for sure. You know, while a child's mental health is not always linked to how they're parented your child's experience seemed to be a catalyst for change in your relationship with them and even with God. So Crystal, in what ways did you have to heal in order to help your child heal?
1: So I remember when we first were able to get into therapy, which was a challenge because our child was struggling so much and we ended up having to go to the ER and kind of get them cleared, um, that, that we were able to start just therapy that they didn't need some sort of inpatient thing. And so I remember having that first meeting with the therapist and saying to her, she's sitting across from me and I'm like, there's anything that I can do or change, please let me know. I'm so desperate to help my child, but I just, I don't know what to do. And it feels like everything that I'm doing is just making things worse. And so after my child went through um, a few weeks of pretty intensive therapy, the therapist called me back in and she said, I think you're trying so hard to fix your child. What would it look like to just walk with them Mm. instead? And that was really powerful for me because I I didn't realize that I was doing that. I mean, as moms, we care so deeply for our kids and we want to help them, but I think so often we try to help them in our own strength by trying to fix something. And so it's like, for me, if my kids were fighting or they were, you know, struggling in something, I'd kind of come in and I'd be like, okay, we need to talk about this. I would tell them all why this was wrong. And then here's what they need to do. That's right. Instead of walking with them and really, you know, like we talked about what's underneath the surface. I think so often These behaviors that we see on the surface are just pointing to that there's other stuff, big feelings, big struggles that are going on underneath the surface. And so this really set me on this journey of unlearning so many ways that I had parented and saying, how do I learn to reparent again from a different place? And I had to then go back and unearth deep things in my heart, deep rooted things of um, fears, but also insecurities, and then lies that I had believed so long of, I'm not good enough. And I'm a disappointment to those closest to me. And I'll never measure up. And these lies had become labels that I wore and that I led with. And so when I would walk into any situation, that was what I was hearing. That was what I was believing. That was th- Those were the glasses that I was wearing, that I was seeing through. And it would cloud my perception in every situation. And, and in my parenting, I was trying so hard to protect my reputation instead of really just parenting out of relationship for my kids.
0: I think that's really easy to do because we see the attitude and behavior of our kids as a direct reflection of our parenting and all the more so for those of us who live some of our parenting in the public space and then our decisions and our parenting and our kids behavior and their life becomes fodder and fuel for, you know, online ridicule or gossip or what have you. Did you, did you feel the weight of that and the pressure of that? No. Yes.
1: And I feel like it's so many parents feel that. And I definitely, I carried around this backpack of like these expectations that I was putting on myself of who I thought I was supposed to be. But then I would put that on my kids too. And when I was writing this book, one of the things that I did was I asked on Instagram, I'm the money saving mom on Instagram. And I asked on there for people to fill in the blank. My job as a parent is to blank. And it was fascinating because I would say that 98 to 99% of the responses from people were things that they ultimately have no control over. So my job as a parent is to raise kids who love Jesus and get successful jobs. Okay. That those are great ambitions, but ultimately you cannot control, you cannot save your children. You are not going to be, you know, able to control what kind of job they get someday. You know, you want to set a great example. You want to walk with them and love them and model for them and nurture them and teach them. But you cannot save your kids. And if you're carrying around this weight of feeling like their behaviors and choices, especially as they get older, are all on you and a direct reflection of your job as a parent, no wonder you're feeling so stressed. And exhausted. I felt that for so many years. So if my child is doing something, I'm immediately going to thinking of, you know, this is like, I can't believe that they're doing this. They should not be doing this. And what's going to happen in 10 years from now, if we don't nip this behavior in the bud right now. And so I'm parenting out of this fear of the future and this expectation that I placed on myself of who I think I'm supposed to be and who I think my child is supposed to be. And it led me to just lash out at them and be so much more frustrated with them because of that weight that I was carrying.
0: Right. It's a double-edged sword. You know, you you put it on your kids because you're feeling the weight and you don't know where to put that, those feelings of anxiety and those lies. So it, it sounds to me like at some point, um, whether it was after you spoke with this counselor or through many series of conversations, you recognized that those fears and those lies were exactly that, fears and lies. So what helped you reclaim the truth of your situation so that you didn't become suffocated by it? How did you recalibrate your, um, your thoughts to good things and the truth?
1: So for me, I really had to first recognize, like you said, you, you, can't, you can't change if you don't recognize that something is wrong. And so for me, recognizing that those, these lies were dictating the way that I was living And so I had to recognize them, but not just do that. I needed to replace them. So call out the lies, but then replace it with truth. And I think a lot of times we can recognize a little bit of where we're believing something that's not true, but then we just kind of were like, oh, just believe in lies. And we kind of get stuck in that instead of doing the hard work of actually replacing it with truth. And so this was a two-year process. This does not happen overnight. It's rewiring our pathways of our brain, renewing our mind like scripture talks about in order to live out of the truth. So for me, I had to call it out as a lie. So if I, a lot of times in the morning when I'm doing my hair and my makeup, it's like, it's those lies of, I can't believe yesterday I did that. And oh man, I'm just failing as a parent. And to stop that in its tracks and say, that's a lie. What is the truth? God has given me these children. He has entrusted them to me. He loves them even more than I do. Mm
0: -hmm. And he
1: will give me everything that I need to be able to walk with them and love them. And so calling out the lie and then replacing it with the truth. And I had just do that over and over and over and over until I started to actually believe the truth and the truth was what was guiding me. And I can tell you when you start living out of that truth of who God says you are and what God says in his word, there's so much freedom that comes from that.
2: I love that crystal. It's so transformational. You know, when we really do that, when we really live out of God's truth, it changes us. So that's, that's key right there. I love that. Well, you have a new book out that unpacks this story as well as the evolution that took place in the aftermath. And it's called love centered parenting, the no fail guide to launching your kids. Well, what does love centered parenting even mean? I mean, as parents, don't we all parent from a place of love?
1: You know what is interesting is as I have been studying this and talking to so many parents I realized that while we will say it's love so much of our parenting decisions and our reactions are actually based in pride and fear and selfishness
0: mm-hmm. and, and like I know that, that is- too so much of our discipline comes yeah. out. Yes
1: and how we respond to our kids like if we really would go dig down deep like, why am I so frustrated that my child is doing this? Well, it's because I don't want to look bad to other people. Yeah, exactly. Or why am I so frustrated that my child has messed something up or interrupted my day? Well, it's because of my selfishness. I want to be able to have a clean and neat house and a nice, tidy schedule. And I want to just be able to follow it. You know, and so when we start to realize that or fear of, you know, just recently one of my daughters came to me and they asked me if they could do something and I overreacted to them and said no absolutely not we don't do this and like in 10 years from now like this is a slippery slope and I started like preaching this whole thing to her and I stopped and I realized I'm this is all about my own fear like I'm responding to my child out of my own fear and I need to work through that like this is not a place to be parenting out of and so A lot of times that while we will say, oh, it's because I love them, but really we're trying to control or fix or micromanage or bubble wrap coming out of our own fear or pride or selfishness. And so getting to the root of that. And so love centered parenting first for me is about understanding how much I am loved by God and camping in that love and his truth and his love and living out of that. To my kids, so that when there is that situation that they've done something wrong or they've made a mess or they're asking if they can do something that we want to say no to, that I am going to, instead of reacting or responding out of that fear or that selfishness or pride, that I want to respond out of God's love for them and God's love for me. And so in the book, I talk about four choices that I believe that every parent should make in their parenting. And instead of being like, my job as a parent is to raise these great kids who grow up and love Jesus and go to heaven and are successful. My job as a parent is to walk with my kids, to lean in and love, to listen well, to lead with humility and to let go. And those choices are not dependent upon our kids' behaviors or choices. It's just about what we do as parents and how we can walk with our kids well.
0: Hmm. We talked a little bit about that in episode 55 when we talked about discipline that reaches the heart. And I think that you've um, touched on that and and pulled on that thread a little bit more for us today, Crystal. I, I wanna get to one of the lines that you use a couple of times in the book. I have read the book. And you say that in Christian circles, we often use the phrase, I expect cheerful first time obedience. And, and I'll be honest, I've said, you know, some sort of iteration of that myself, but you caution against using that phrase. I'm wondering why. And then my second follow-up question is what would be a better expectation to have regarding our child's obedience?
1: Such great questions. And, you know, it is, we want our kids to have a good character. We want them to love Jesus. We want them to make good choices. But like we talked about, we can't make them make good choices. And so instead of focusing on that cheerful first-time obedience and demanding that, because a lot of times some of that can be rooted in that fear or that pride or that selfishness, but really what does it look like? To walk with them and to love them. And so I caution parents against making that cheerful first time obedience their be all end all goal for parenting. And I have seen that. I grew up in a culture where that was the be all end all cheerful first time obedience. And I can tell you that there were a lot of kids who looked really good on the outside, but inwardly were complete rebels. And that came out when they were 16, 18, 20 years old, because they then, you know, they they obeyed their parents because that was what was expected of them. But it was all just about the rules and following the rules. And there wasn't that relationship. And so their parents spent so much time correcting and very little time connecting. And so I think, you know, we do want to expect our children to have good character, you know, in our, in our home, it's not like, it's just like, there are no rules. Anything goes, you can do whatever you want. Cause I'm just loves, I'm the love center parent. Um, it's not about that, but it's about really shepherding our kids hearts and walking with their hearts. And so for me, it's talking with them when there is something that has gone down that they've, they've, you know, made a bad choice, really talking with them And that lean in and love, listen well, lead with humility and let go. And so I want to approach it. I talk about in the book, sending up a flare prayer. And, you know, a lot of times we don't have 30 minutes to get on our knees and pray, God, how do I deal with this situation? My kids are fighting in the other room, but sending up that flare prayer to say, God, let me love them, love them through me. And then being able to walk into that situation with his love pouring out. And so, you know, you're going to, a lot of times the end result, what you're hoping for, you know, that you're wanting to help them to make good choices, but the heart behind how you're approaching it will be completely different. And so let's say they're, they're fighting to walk into that situation and to, instead of just be like, stop fighting, no more fighting. We don't fight in this house. You're both punished. Both of you go to your room to say, Okay let's talk about what's going on here and giving them both the opportunity to share what they're feeling. And we really encourage our kids. Let's talk from the perspective of what are you feeling instead of he did this, she did this and, and really accusing the other person. And so having that conversation and listening well to where they're coming from, a lot of times there are some much bigger things that are going on here. Um, just yesterday, this mom wrote me and she said how she had just finished reading her, uh, my book and her 14 year old son, she was at the skate park with him and she went to pick him up and she saw him. He just flung his helmet and his skateboard just down in a really angry manner. And she said she instantly wanted to just jump in, you know, and just say, we don't do that. That is not correct behavior. But instead she heard that leaning in love, leaning in love, listen well. And so she got him into the car and then she said, can we talk about what's going on out there? And then he was really upset because some kids had been mistreated out there and he saw this bullying going on. And he was super upset about that. And that's why he threw his skateboard and his helmet. And so they were able to talk about, OK, you know, what's a better response in this situation? But she said if she had just come in and just corrected him and gotten upset with him, she would have completely missed that his heart, he was so just hurting for this other child and he didn't know what to do with that big hurt that he was feeling. And so it came out as anger. And, and so I think when we can get to what's underneath the surface and really talk through and walk through that and do it in this loving manner, we're going to see that the result a lot of times is going to be, you know, more obedience and more cheerfulness in the obedience, but it's going to be from a different heart and a
0: different place. Mm. I think the two things that I hear in that phrase, that Christian phrase, you know, I expect cheerful obedience right away. The two red flags I hear is one, it's not really giving a child and the opportunity to express disappointment. And, and aren't we all disappointed sometimes? And that's not a bad emotion. That's not a sinful emotion. And secondly, it's not really teaching them how to make an appeal, like in this case, you know, when the the kid threw his skateboard down and was upset about something that rightfully so he should have been upset about, it's not really directing him to know how to make an appeal or how to carry his disappointment and both of those are skills that as adults we need to know. And both of those are skills that we see lacking in society. Like if we just expect our kids to obey right away with a cheerful attitude, with no questions asked, like you said, they can obey outwardly, but inwardly, they've got this boiling um, cauldron of emotions and they never learn what to do with those. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. that comes out as, a, as adults in very unhealthy ways.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly.
0: Imagine the world change that would take place if we moms did the knee-bending work of prayer for our homes. If we spent just as much time praying as we do providing perfect childhoods, perfect days, perfect dinners. Our kids need perfection, that's true, but it won't ever be found in us. That's a gift only Jesus can lavish on them. If Kate, September, and I could encourage you in just one thing, it would be prayer. Nothing will be more powerful in the life of your kids and in your relationship with them than bringing them to the throne of the all-powerful one who can move heaven and earth on their behalf. To help direct your thoughts to specific prayer points found in scripture, we've put together a month-long series of prayer cards called 30 Days of Prayer for My Child. Each card contains a prayer theme, a verse that correlates with that theme, and a brief sample prayer to help you call upon God to be faithful to his word in light of your kids. To grab a set of your own, head to September and Co. Shop on Etsy. Pray for your kids today, because if you're not praying for them, Who will be?
2: Well, knowing that your child suffered from thoughts of suicide, did that affect the way that you disciplined them? I mean, I'd imagine you felt uneasy about correcting them at first, even when it was warranted, because maybe you feared what the repercussions would be. How can you discipline from a place of relationship and not just rule?
1: You know, for me, I think it starts like we talked about with, with that heart and that desire to really know our kids and, and paying attention to how much time are we spending correcting our kids Mm -hmm. and how much time are we spending connecting with them? And oftentimes when they're acting out, it's because they're crying out for love Mm -hmm. and they're crying out for attention. And a lot of times they're doing it in all the wrong ways, but they are crying out for our attention. And so I noticed that my interaction specifically with this one child who was struggling, so much of it was me telling this child what they were doing wrong. And, you know, I was trying to fix this situation, but I was constantly, I was interacting with them a lot, but it was all just about what they were doing wrong. And so I had to step back and say, what does the child love to do? What are they passionate about? What are they excited about? How can I step into their world and build relationship with them and walk with them. And I know oftentimes with moms, you know, I'll hear, they'll say, well, I don't like what my kid likes. I am not interested in what my kid is interested in or they like video games and I am not gonna sit on the couch and play video games with them. But how can we express to our kids that we care about what they care about, that we're interested in what they're interested in if we just always expect for them to come step into our world and do the thing that we love to do or that we're interested or that we want to do. And so really for me, the more that I could spend investing in them and pouring into them and caring about what they cared about and being interested in what they're interested in, then the more that they were so much more open for us to have these conversations. And, and now it's really cool with, with my three older kids, they're 16, 13 and 11, almost 12. Um, just so often we're not even disciplining at this point. It's them coming to us and saying, Hey, I have this situation and I am frustrated with it and I don't know what to do about it. And can we talk about just last night up really, really late with one of my girls, just, we were just sitting in her room and she was just really frustrated about a situation. She's like, I didn't respond well, and I don't know what to do. What would you do in this situation? And I feel like because of investing that time so that we've built that relationship, then it's so much easier to have those conversations and it's more natural. It's not like we're just coming in when they've done something wrong, but we're walking with them in the everydayness of life and just laughing with them and enjoying them and just enjoying the gift of their life. So then when we do need to have those hard conversations, we've invested so that they're willing to listen.
0: Yeah, we've talked about, Kate, before on the podcast, the funneling model of parenting and how it's in those early years that you lay down the rails and you you have those um, guidelines and boundaries so that as they get older and become teenagers, you know, just like a funnel gets larger at the mouth, you can release some of that. And that's, I would say that's really proactive parenting because now, you know, I too do very little disciplining of my teens because those boundaries were set at the front end. And now we're just guiding them and mentoring them and modeling for them through um, discipleship. Without getting into any specifics, Crystal, for the sake of your child, I'm wondering, you know, we've talked a lot about what you did in your own Um, place of healing for yourself and how to maybe do some parenting pivots, but were there any particular steps that you took that were especially helpful for your child in the healing process?
1: So I think one of the biggest things is it started with therapy, which was really, really hard for this child. They did. They were like, that's for people who have really hard things going on. I do not want to go to therapy. Like, I'm fine. And um, and for us to have the conversation about, we we literally said, if your bone was broken, we wouldn't just try to put bandages on it yeah. and then say, okay, you're fine. And I said, your heart's broken right now. And we want to take you to a doctor who can help you with that. And, and so starting with that, and, and they were very, just had a very bad attitude about the whole thing. But at this point we said they were, you know, at, at, an age where we said this, we're making this decision for you. And it was three months of a lot of therapy where I felt like, I don't even know why we're spending all this money. It feels like it's not doing anything, but the therapist, was working so hard with helping our child learn to express emotions. And that was something that our child could not, could not do, could not even figure out how to say, I'm angry about this. I'm sad about this. I'm happy about this. I'm embarrassed about that. That was a tool that we hadn't taught because we didn't know how to do it as parents and we weren't modeling it for our kids. And so that was something that every single week, the therapist was working with our child on and, that made all the difference in the world because so much of their big feelings just coming out as anger, constantly just angry, 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 angry. And it was just coming out as anger because that's the only emotion that they knew how to act on. And, um, and so understanding the ability, you know, what was that feeling of sadness, what was that feeling of hurt? What was that feeling of embarrassment? What was that feeling of joy? What was that feeling of frustration? And, and how to be able to actually then verbalize that and having that emotional language. And so it took an entire year and our whole family learned a lot in that process. And we started learning how to express that as well and to model that for our kids and to make that something that was a very big part of our everyday life of just being able to share what you were feeling and that there's not, like you talked about early, earlier, I feel like I felt so long, like there were, there are negative emotions and there are positive emotions, but understanding that emotions are neutral. It's how you act on them that makes it either negative or positive. And so that was a really, really big thing for our child. Um, also understanding that there were mental health issues and getting um, help with that and medication was a huge thing. And I know that there's a lot of stigma that can be out there with that. But once we were able to do all the testing and really understand That we need to help this child's brain and medication is a way to do that and so um, lots of prayer as well obviously and just lots and lots of conversations and love and then for us as parents to recognize the triggers to be aware of that and so then we could start to be proactive about you know when there's going to be a situation this particular child if there's a lot of newness or something that's very different than their norm, that is a huge trigger for them. So us being proactive of, we're not gonna just say, okay, we're never gonna have any newness or norm uh, or you know, a- abnormal things, because you can't, that's not preparing them for real life. But we can proactively teach them tools so that when we're, you know, okay, we're going to go on vacation. Well, this is going to be out of the normal. So how can we prepare for this and have conversations around this and get tools set up so that this thing that's out of the ordinary, that's going to be a trigger for you. We can, you know, process through this ahead of time. And then in the situation for us to be aware of those things so that we can parent from a much more understanding place, instead of just getting frustrated because like, what is your problem? Why can you not deal with this? Why can you not handle that? And I feel like that's where we parented for so long because we just didn't know any better.
0: So I'm going to repeat two things that Crystal said. I'm going to say it again for the women in the back, because I think it needs to be said again. Getting help for your mental health is not an admission of weakness. Amen. I think we have this, there's this stigma in Christian circles that mental health and getting help for mental health is equal to not having a good alignment in your faith. You know, you're struggling to reach out to the Lord. You're struggling into your you're struggling in your spiritual walk. You must be if you have mental health issues or struggle in mental health. And the two are not necessarily synonymous. We've talked about that in episode 21. If you want to go back and listen when anxiety threatens to pull you under, there's some really great tools in that particular episode. The second thing she said that I think is worth mentioning again, um, anger is a secondary emotion. And oftentimes when our kids are angry, we have to learn to not take that as a personal offense against us and to dig deep and do the hard work and find out what is beneath that anger because oftentimes there's another emotion there so crystal i'm going to push back just a little bit at you um again your new book is called love-centered parenting the no-fail guide to launching your kids and and i'm going to be really honest crystal when i read that title my first thought was well she hasn't even launched a child completely yet so how is she an expert on that And I can imagine there might be many moms out there who wonder that same thing. Now, having read your book, I understand more of the nuance behind that title, but I wonder if you could speak to that potential skepticism for a minute. Why are you the right person to have written a book on launching your kids well?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because I did not want to write this book at all. <laughs> I fought against it for a long time. And I knew, you know, when you feel like God is calling you to something and it's scary and you say, no, I'm not the person like you, there's plenty of other people who are so much more qualified to write a book on this topic, but I just felt so strongly that God was calling me to this. And we talked about it as a family. We prayed about it for nine months. We had conversations, you know, because it's, it's like you talked about at the beginning. It's not just my story. It's our kids' stories too. And that, I took that very, very seriously. But when we were talking about, okay, what, what title and subtitle go with this book? And um, there was a room full of people and we wrestled through this and, Landed on the no fail guide to launching your kids. And to say no fail for one, that's a big promise. And a a lot of people have been like, yeah, hold up. How can you promise that? But as you've seen in the book, it's about faithfulness and failure is not, you know, success or failure is not about your kids' choices or behaviors. It's about you faithfully walking with them, but then launching your kids. I haven't launched kids. Like you said, my my oldest is 16, but my heart behind this is for parents to start thinking about launching is not something you do when your child is 18. It is a lifelong process. We want to raise adults not kids. And so we don't just start thinking about when they're 16, 17, 18, oh, let's see, my child's going to become an adult. What do I need to teach them? We want to start from the time that they're young. Really, earlier we talked about how if we just make all the decisions for them, if we just create all these rules and safeguards for them so that life is never hard, they never make mistakes, we're not teaching them how to be adults. We're not raising them to be adults. We're raising them to follow rules. We're not raising them to think for themselves, to look to God and to have to learn the tools to be able to process through hard things. And so launching your kids is a much longer process than just when they turn 18. And so I want to start that from the time that my kids are young and look at it as a process And not just the end result.
0: What does September always say, Kate? It's a slow and steady capture and release. And we're Mm -hmm. always in that process of capturing their hearts and releasing them in small incremental ways to the Lord and to the world in some regard.
2: Yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's their, their, their whole life, at least while you have them. We're raising them to let them go. Well, Crystal, how has love-centered parenting transformed your relationship with your kids? I'm sure it's changed it some.
1: It has completely changed. (laughs) And I I don't recognize the relationship that we have compared to what we used to have. And I am so grateful. And the tone of our home is just so much calmer.
0: Mm.
1: And the tone in our relationship, there's so much joy and there's so much peace. And I think it's not because my kids are perfect. We actually had a really hard week this past week. And one of my kids got in trouble at school and two of my kids are really struggling with some things and it's big stuff. And, but it's that peace in my heart of knowing that I don't have to do it all perfectly. I want to do it well. Well, Mm-hmm. But that's about walking with my kids and loving them, and just, you know, saying, let's have a conversation about this. Let's talk about this and leaning in and loving them right where they're at and listening to them and not feeling so much pressure of that, I got to do it all right. Mm-hmm. But to know that that's why there's Jesus. Jesus came. Mm-hmm for my mess ups and my mistakes and where I'm going to miss the mark. And so relying upon him and that we have his spirit in us. And so there's so much freedom and joy that comes when we parent out of that place. If he loves my kids so much more than I do, I can trust him and I can just say, give me wisdom for this next step. I'm not going to parent out of pride and selfishness and fear. Let me just love them today, right now, right here.
2: That's so good. And I think if we just take that burden of perfection off ourselves as moms, you know, I think we, we just have this standard of thinking we have to do it perfectly and we don't, we can't, but you're right. If we just let Jesus do it, knowing he loves our kids more than we do. And knowing that, that he's good. If we just let him guide us and take the burden, just give him, put our burdens on him. He tells us to do that anyway. If we would just take that advice, you know, it would make life so much easier and take that burden of perfection off ourselves, that Pinterest perfect, Instagram perfect. We're looking at all this stuff on social media and thinking that it's really true, that that's really how everybody's lives are. And we know it's really not. It would just make our lives so much easier.
0: And we have to get to this point where we say, Jesus, I, I don't just trust you with their eternal forevers. I trust you with their here and nows, this right. very moment. And oftentimes the, the former is feels a lot easier than the latter. Isn't that funny that it's easier to trust God, trust Christ with their forevers than this moment, this present difficult moment?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Crystal, I'm wondering, what is your hope For parents who pick up this book, what do you want them to know specifically about love centered parenting? I don't want to give away the book, but if, if there was one takeaway, you would hope that they would glean as they read what, what is that takeaway?
1: So one of my biggest hopes in writing this book is for parents to no longer be carrying around that weight of expectations that God never put on them, but then also for them to understand how much they are loved by God. And to really rest in that love and to live out of that love and then to be able to parent from that place of peace and joy because they know how much they're loved by God.
0: And that's really where it starts. When we can parent from a place of love, as you mentioned in the book, then we can lavish our kids with the love that we have been lavished on through Christ. Well, how can parents find out more about this book and, and where can they find you and your resources online, Crystal?
1: So I always tell people, I love for you to follow me on Instagram. I'm the money saving mom on Instagram. And I oftentimes talk about parenting and also share just snippets of our life. We have two babies because we're fostering and we have um, a one-year-old. And so there's always lots of fun things going on at our house and learning lots of lessons. And um, also if you like deals, moneysavingmom.com and the book is available wherever books are sold.
0: Who doesn't like a good deal? Thank you so much for joining us today, Crystal. You've given us some great thoughts to chew on um, that will hopefully help us love our children well, especially in this crazy year that that we're in where we've all felt a bit fragile. um, And most likely our kids have too. And thank you, Mama, for listening. If you've enjoyed or have found value in our conversation around the table today, we'd love for you to leave us a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It only takes a minute and is a great way to spread the word about generational gospel centered mothering to other women who could use some encouragement.